This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. Today, we're focusing on a sector I've always thought I'd like to work in, book publishing. I'm joined by Andy Palmer, who has worked in the industry from the ground up for almost 40 years. He's held senior PR positions at internationally renowned publishing houses, including Bloomsbury Publishing, Hachette Australia, Allen & Unwin, Simon & Schuster, and HarperCollins, and joins me to share some insight into the world of book publicity. Andy, welcome to the PR Pod. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you with us. I've had a look over some of the campaigns that you've worked on throughout your career, and that's a really impressive list. There's a number of books that were on the the Booker Prize list. There's some celebrity autobiographies and really notable nonfiction titles there. When you look back over some of those campaigns or look back over all those campaigns, the ones that you really enjoyed working on the most, did they have any common elements tying them together? Um, Look, I think... Uh, at a very base level, the books that I've enjoyed most working on, they're just great books. They're books that I've really enjoyed. Um, it's much easier to mount a campaign for a book you genuinely love than a book that uh, is just on your list and you have to work with. But also a great author makes it so much easier um, and a budget makes it so much easier. But Sort of throughout the entire time I've worked in book publishing, the author tour is kind of still the piece de resistance of any campaign. If you can tour an author around the country, bring them to Australia, or if they're in Australia, uh, tour them to all the capital cities. And that's sort of the best way to still get that sort of broad maximum coverage for a book and the author. Is that because that face-to-face element of it with journalists is so important? Uh, Yeah, if you move them around the capital cities, you can get them into the studios everywhere, whether that be TV or radio. Um, You can get them face-to-face with journalists. But more importantly is events. You can organise massive events, speaking engagements, whether that's a breakfast or a literary lunch or a dinner um, or a festival. That's um, where you can move a lot of books. I've never attended a... um... Um, a book reading or a book signing so the real purpose of those is to I guess engage is it is it mostly people that already engage with an author that comes to those come to those or people that have read about a book and are interested in hearing a little bit more about it what where's the kind of the demo that attends those a a bit of uh, both of those things Um, obviously fans are going to come along but there's a whole group of, uh, a whole sort of range of readers who are just interested in hearing new writers and coming along. They may have heard something about the book and thought that sounds interesting. Um, they'll come along and they sort of get an opportunity at the end after the author has spoken or uh, has been on a panel with other people or whatever. They then get a chance to meet them face to face and get a copy of the book signed and have a, have a little sort of personal interaction with, with the writer. In the old days, you said signings, but they're sort of a thing of the past now. You used to be able to sort of bonk a big international writer out the front of Dimmicks or, or Angus and Robertson and 300 people would turn up to buy a book. That that really doesn't happen anymore. Um, it's really now they need to speak, they need to sort of share, and uh, that's kind of where it's shifted to now. So we'll delve into the campaigns and how campaigns are put together in a little bit, but I'd love to go back to how you got into public relations, how you got into book publishing. You studied journalism 
at university. Had you grown up with books being a really prominent part of your childhood? I guess I was always a bit of a library nerd. Um, so yes, I uh, I was always a reader. And no one ever said to me, have you thought of a career in book publishing? That was just so foreign to me. I didn't even know where books came from, really. A careers advisor suggested that um, journalism would be something good for me. So I sort of applied to various journalism courses and got in at Canberra University. And it, they were sort of the precursor to the modern day communications degrees, I guess. Um, and I kind of decided during the course of that, that I didn't really want to be a journalist. And when we sort of finished, there was a recession. We were kind of told we'd never get a job. Um, I moved from Canberra to Sydney. There was an emerging kind of PR thing happening that we kept hearing about and people who had studied journalism. That was an entry point. Um, and I saw this job advertised in the paper as a, actually it was a publicity secretary at, at Pan Books. And through studying journalism, uh, I had uh, learned shorthand and typing. So I thought, oh, well, I can do something you don't need anymore. Um, but I, I tell you what, typing is a godsend. Being able to sort of be a fast and accurate touch typist is, um, has just really helped everything. Um, but I sort of applied for this job at Pan Books and I went along for naively to the interview. I had no idea how I'd performed. It was really the first job interview I'd ever had. And when I got home, my phone was ringing and they sort of offered me the job. And that's sort of how it started. I remember my first day getting there. Publishing is full of jargon. There's all kinds of jargon about everything. And I remember my first day there, I, I just sort of didn't know what people were saying. But I thought, I'm going to know that. I'm going to know all that. I'm going to know all this. I'm going to know what they're saying. And um, I was very excited about it. What was your process for um, I guess, immersing yourself in that industry and the jargon and trying to get your head around it. Did you, were there any particular mentors or people you looked, looked up to in terms of managers? What was your kind of um, process for oh, doing so? My first boss, um, a, a, a woman called Maggie Crystal, who was at that time the most inventive and creative book PR in the country, and she was just extraordinary. And she really mentored me and she really fostered what abilities I had. And, and um, she promoted me very quickly to publicity assistant. And I, I aspired to be a lot like her. She was smart and clever. Um, her pictures were fantastic. And I don't know, I just watched and observed. And um, she was just a, a terrific mentor. It sounds like you had a, a pretty immediate connection to book publishing as a as a sector to work within. Yeah, I was really taken with it fairly instantly. I mean, it all seemed quite glamorous to me um, at the time. Uh, Maggie would sort of go off on these author tours and I was very much sort of left in the office coordinating everything and making sure, backing up and making sure everything happened, you know, that her tour went as smoothly as possible and um, there was a big tour with Jackie Collins and and I just thought it was the most extraordinary thing. And and then she would sort of go off to Adelaide Writers Week with a whole range of really impressive international literary names. Um, and I guess I just kind of found the whole thing. I was very, you know, I, I was just very taken with it. I, I just felt I'd landed on my feet. I imagine campaigns, uh, the structure of campaigns, the elements of, of campaigns when a book is launched, 
has changed quite dramatically between when you started and when they are now. What are some of the similarities between what makes a strong or effective campaign and then what are the key differences between, you know, in terms of, I guess, what you've got access to now? I imagine social media and digital has really transformed things. I imagine there's pros and cons to, to that as well. Gosh, Brooke, I think that's a three-hour conversation in itself. <laughs> so much has changed. Um, the basic author tour has not changed. When Actually, when I joined, um, the industry was just changing from business to business, i.e. publishers essentially dealing with booksellers, to business to business and consumer, where we're taking up the role of promoting our books and writers directly to consumers, as well as um, servicing the booksellers. Um, so that has changed now. Now we sort of are full on marketing, advertising, you know, everything in the in the in in the arsenal really. Um, so that's changed a lot. The author tour still has remained the biggest, the the best way to sort of uh, raise consciousness about a book, but. I think the biggest difference for me is that my job has turned from a talking job to a typing job, which I don't actually love. Uh, I feel pictures were much easier when you could do it over the phone. You'd sort of get instant feedback on what part of the pitch was working um, and you'd just use it again because you'd sit there, you'd send out, say, you know, 100 books to the media and you'd sit there and just make call after call after call after they'd received them and you'd very quickly work out what was hooking people in, whereas now you send out an email and you're not quite sure and it's very easy for the media to reject that, to just say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And you just feel they may have overlooked something or may have not understood something about it or may have not seen the angle that was good for their audience. Um, um, but over the phone, you could sort of gauge that very quickly. And you, you, you'd sort of realise really quickly what was working and what wasn't. Do you find that journalists prefer email versus phone contact these days, especially in your world? Look, I think so. Like, I still speak on the phone to a lot of older journalists that I've been dealing with for years because I know them well. But, like, you try and call a lot of young radio producers and they simply don't answer their phone. So that's the, that's the hard bit to start with. Um, you sort of got to follow up an email pitch with another email. Um, no one really calls you back or not like they used to. Uh, and I also feel it just takes much longer now. It was much quicker um, with email, like people change stuff all the time. Like you'd used to ring up, you'd have a conversation, you'd put it in your diary, they'd put it in their diary and nothing would change. That interview would happen on that date at that time as agreed. But now things just go backwards and forwards and changing and there, the new rundown. And I mean, you know, um, sorry today, we're only talking about COVID because this happened or, you know, I don't know. It's just things, I, I feel it was much more efficient before email, strangely. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. Um, in terms of, I guess, having some understanding or some perspective of how a book comes to life, uh, pre, I guess, publicity being involved and then how the publicity side of things factors in, could you give me a quick overview of of how a book comes to life? You know, let's say, can anyone 
send in a manuscript? How do, how does that process work? Look, um, the main way these days is through an agent. That's kind of the easiest way. Or knowing someone within uh, the publishing world, knowing someone on the inside uh, can, it can possibly get it read. But agents, uh, yes, a lot of publishers do accept unsolicited manuscripts and that's usually on their website, the process for going about that. Um, there's also a lot of prizes now for previously unpublished uh, published manuscripts or, or for new writers or for young writers. And that's a great way in as well. The oldest being the Vogel's Prize uh, for an unpublished manuscript, which is uh, run by Alan and Unwin. So look, there's quite a number of ways to get on the road to, to publishing. Um, unsolicited manuscript is probably the slowest because it just takes a long while to get through that slush pile sitting in the publishing house. But then sort of the acquisition process, uh, a publisher might uh, have come across a book, they're very excited about it, and they would then bring it to a whole team of people within the publisher and say, uh, I'm, I, it, it sort of pitch it to the rest of the company, essentially. And then it might be sent around to the heads of various departments, uh, someone like myself, for example, the head of marketing and or publicity, uh, the head of sales. Um, and then our import is sort of factored into the decision about whether whether or not we, we might take that book on. Um, and certain books are sort of better suited to different publishers as well. So it's always good if you've found a publisher in a publishing house who really wants to champion your book, who can really um, sort of sell it internally first. <laughs> and then once the book's taken on, I guess like a, a very ballpark, it's kind of about a year before publication, but that varies enormously. Um, once it's been delivered, that is. So there might be the whole writing process. It may have been bought on a synopsis. It may have been bought um, on a few chapters. Once it's in-house, that's when sort of you start formulating plans. It's sort of there's, there's months where you won't really focus on it. But as it gets closer, uh, particularly to about three or four months out, it becomes a very big focus, particularly if it's a big book for the company, if it's a big book, um, if uh, there was a massive advance paid for it and we really need to recoup that. <laughs> um, so the, the sort of business side of it is, is really important as well and kind of determines how much time and effort is put into it uh, across the company. And then in terms of the elements of a campaign, so let's say, you know, you've got a book on your on your desk and it's been delivered and, you know, it's launching in six months' time. What are the different elements from a publicity point of view that you think about when you're putting together the rollout of that campaign? I mean, I guess it's access to author. When that author, you know, are they coming to Australia? Are they in Australia? How much time you get with them? Um, do you often get much time given, you know, allocated with an author or I imagine that changes? That varies enormously too. Someone who is a writer, who is uh, their livelihood is a writer, you probably get a lot of access because they understand that they need to enter into the publicity process to help the book sell. 
Um, but if it's kind of like a one-off book, if it's a biography of a sports star or a politician or a, uh, you know, some, someone famous, it, you might not get as much time. You might, but ideally you'd probably, uh, because they are known people, you'd probably want to try and get an author tour out of them, um, which would be a 10 days to two weeks where you just travel around the country every day doing uh, press, doing events, uh, meeting as many people as possible. But then others you don't get, you, you might get hardly any time at all, particularly if they're an international writer and they're being published simultaneously around the world on the same date. Um, there's much bigger markets for them to focus on than Australia. Uh, you know, sometimes you're asked to submit your top line three interviews that you'd like to do. But if it's someone, sometimes they, with a big international author, if you've worked with them before and you've toured them before, they may have a little soft spot for Australia and for what you've done for them, and they might make themselves more available to you. They might uh, have loved meeting their Australian readers. Um, they might understand, uh, or they might just feel that they want to do, uh, you know, just want to sort of give more to their Australian readers. And that's always lovely when that happens. And when does the author tour factor in in conjunction with the launch date of a book? On publication. Now, that's another really big change in the, in the book campaign world. Um, in the old days, everything used to happen around publication. But with the advent of social media, uh, there's now a whole new process of seeding interest and seeding. You might uh, start off with an announcement. You might actually start off now with an acquisition press release. We have acquired this book um, and there might be a new story in that. And you can start building excitement right from the time you acquire the book, especially if there's a whole lot of publishers trying to get it, especially if someone has uh, snapped up film or TV rights. Um, that, you know, people sort of start to think, oh, this must be interesting. Nine publishers were going for this book in America. Wow, that, that's great. Oh, and, and Hulu or HBO or whatever's got film rights for it. And um, that you can sort of start it there. Then you might announce through social media the publication date. Then you might announce through social media, you might reveal the cover then you might produce a book trailer and put that up on social media. Um, so there's a whole range of stuff you can now employ to build up to the publication date, which would never have happened in the past if you, you, you just wanted everything to start on publication so that people could go into a bookshop and buy the book. You, that's, that's, you, it was the, booksellers got very upset with stuff that happened beforehand because they sort of saw it as lost sales for them. Um, but now it's very much part of the whole campaign is building up to publication. But it is interesting, most of that happens on social media. Uh, you'd still reserve all the big hitting traditional media on publication. And is it, I mean, I know in hospitality, in terms of hospitality venues, when a venue launches, it's you got to go hard and fast, you know, all the publications, especially the lifestyle, you know, online websites, they want to know the information at the same time so they can tell their readers and they can be the first one delivering to their readers and using they're not picking it up in a couple of days later after it's run elsewhere. So you really have to pump out things very, very quickly. When it does come to publication, 
what's the process? Are you kind of drip feeding stuff out? Do, do people need to be the first to have run a review on a book? It depends how big and newsworthy it is. I mean, there's sort of a general understanding that reviews happen around publication. A lot of influencers tend to often do stuff early. We produce proof copies of books. I don't know if you're across those. They're sort of like an early edition. They won't have the final cover on it. They might just have a typographical cover. The idea of those is to get booksellers reading them early, getting them excited about it. We sort of distribute those to a lot of influencers as well, uh, Instagrammers who might take a photograph. And again, it's a way of seeding early interest in the book. We love it when they say the publication date, it's available from this date or give a link to a pre-order, which again is a whole new thing, pre-ordering online. It's not so big here, but in the UK and the US, pre-ordering is enormous. Um, And that, that is kind of how the whole... Uh, thing, you know, of building up to publication, of releasing information and building bars in advance sort of happened um, because of that, that pre-ordering mainly through Amazon. It does happen here, um, but, but it's just not, it's just not, uh, not in the way it happens uh, in, in big overseas markets. You talked about influencers, and it's completely naive of me. I hadn't really ever thought about influencers in the in the book world. Are there many influencers in Australia in book publishing? Yeah, yeah, that they are. They they don't have the kinds of follow numbers of followers that lifestyle influencers have, but some of them do have influence. Yeah, yeah. The big sort of thing now uh, that everyone's trying to harness is book talk, and I don't know if you're aware of. Uh, there's a, a book by Madeline Miller called The Song of Achilles, which has become this enormous trend on, on TikTok. The story is the re- a sort of queer retelling of uh, Achilles and Patroclus, and it's very moving, and people started filming themselves crying and bawling their eyes out at the end of the book, saying, this book, this book, this book, and it's generated, like, I would say hundreds of thousands of additional sales. The book came out several years ago and it's just completely reignited this book. Um, Even right now in Australia, it's selling a lot of copies and all over the world. So everyone's trying to replicate that. But of course, it's really organic. It's hard to manufacture that kind of thing. And publishers are now having reasonable success, but nothing like the numbers for the Song of Achilles, nothing like that. So that's a very interesting new thing. But but right now everyone's trying to harness TikTok. But it's it's sort of TikTok is sort of organic by by nature. And I think it's a bit hard to to try and replicate the success of the Song of Achilles. And I imagine there's opportunities for authors to do stuff around TikTok, but I mean there must be few and far between authors that actively engage on social media and are happy to collaborate with the publisher and the social media team or the publicity team about generating something that can be used across TikTok. I imagine those opportunities don't come up very often for you to be in control of. Uh, we have a social media team. We have this uh, terrific guy called Tobias Madden, who's just fantastic. If you want to have a look at um, Bloomsbury Social Media, he's really great. He's really fantastic. And he's always trying to think up ways to engage through all platforms on social media. And um, uh, it's just a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's kind of important now. You need to do it. I wonder, though, 
I, I wonder, I don't know. I mean, the sort of numbers you see are phenomenal and far more than traditional media numbers are. And you think, well, why aren't we selling more books? So I sort of feel that um, it tends to inform rather than persuade. Uh, it, it informs people about a new book, but it doesn't have a call to action the way traditional media does. Like in the old days, you know, um, there'd be an extract from a book, you know, in, say, Good Weekend magazine on Saturday. And everyone would read it at the same time and everyone would be talking about it at the same time. So that would sort of create a much bigger buzz. It's also sort of fractured now. You never know when someone's going to read that. It's not this sort of, it doesn't sort of create this water cooler moment immediately like it used to. And uh, when you sort of plan the whole campaign to sort of just blast off on the date of publication, um, the book was really noticeable. And, and there it was in store uh, where you walked in. You'd say, oh, that's that book I've heard about all weekend. And, and you know, it, 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 it's, also, it's also fractured these days. It's, not, it's hard to get that impact. But, but it's still true that the, the very best way to sell a book is through word of mouth, people telling each other, you telling your friend, I've just read this book and loved it. And I guess to a great degree, that's what the uh, Song of Achilles TikTok is doing. It's telling people, I really love this. And um, word of mouth has always been the absolute best way to sell a book. I want to ask about embargoes. In my television days, you would embargo perhaps the announcement of a winner of a reality television. You may have filmed it a couple of days before. You need to place those stories. Those stories are ready to up and go at 10 o'clock at night or whatever it may be. And those embargoes would often be be broken and they the print journalists would point the finger at the online team and say, oh, no, I abided by it, just so they could get something up five or ten minutes earlier. What are embargoes like in the book publishing world? Do people not break them or do you get people, you know, putting up a, a review or whatever it may be a day before? Or uh, look, I imagine if you're anything like me, you've had some very sleepless <laughs> nights about <Yes>. embargoes. <laughs> just hoping that people hold it. And like competing news organisations often just willingly break them. And I mean, it's unfair to the person you've had the agreement with. Um, even sometimes breaking non-disclosure agreements, but there's not all that much you can do. It's just super annoying. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you do get sort of coverage in both places where you really had done an exclusive deal with one place that's kind of beneficial but it's it's really annoying and and it's it's just unfair because if the tables were turned and we were trying to protect your exclusivity you know you'd be really upset too like it's 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 um it's particularly happens with uh, newsworthy books, books that have genuine news content in them, whether that be a politician's memoir, um, something just super newsworthy, that, that's when it happens. But if you sell an extract from a book to a print newspaper, there is an implied exclusivity with that. That, that means you go first. So then what you try and do with another news organisation is place... Uh, 
may be the first interview with the author. They got the they got the exclusive with the extract. You can have the first interview, uh, but you'll have to run after them. You can't go before. But no, the the author won't have spoken to anyone unless the first group was clever and tied it up with an interview and an extract, which sometimes happens. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, that's something I certainly have missed. Um strangely from my television days is that I really liked that kind of that strategy of how can we how can we get mass coverage but you know you've got to pick and everyone wants exclusives everyone wants you know the best picture of a particular actor or host of a show and or a radio station wants the first interview that day and they want it at their prime time slot but so does the other one and uh, I really quite enjoyed that do you enjoy that side of things or did you enjoy that side of things I do yeah, I do try to juggle all that and fit all that in uh, and, and sort of come up with the best schedule you can that's, that's sort of not getting people offside, you know. I, yeah. I do enjoy that a lot. And also knowing just within ABC Radio sort of who's in competition with who and who, you know, who won't do something if someone else has done something and, you know, that that's really interesting. Yeah, the scheduling side of things is... Um is the thing that I miss most, the most from television days. And I imagine there's lots of people that have worked in television and still work in there that would say it's their least favourite thing to do. But, um, yeah, the idea of trying to pack in 40 interviews the day after someone's won a competition and you've got, yeah, you know, yeah. national radio and print and online all want a piece of it, that was my idea of joy, <laughs> trying to make them all work together. <laughs> yeah. I, I would find if someone's won a big book prize – like, as long as they get them the next day, if it was announced at night, you'd probably have a media release ready to go out at the moment of announcement. And as long as everyone who wants to get them the next morning gets them, that's usually fairly acceptable. So in 2021, and, you know, obviously in light of COVID, um, so maybe this is maybe this question should be framed in terms of 2019. What does an A-plus <laughs> campaign look like for the launch of a book you know what would you go that's exactly what we would have wanted to have achieved and how different does that look for a well-known author it's easy to get covers over the line or interviews in the top rating radio programs whatever it is how different is it with someone that really has no profile and someone that does have a lot of profile in terms of what a successful campaign looks like wow um that can vary enormously <laughs> again. Look, if you could get the author on the cover of Good Weekend or the Weekend Australian magazine or the Women's Weekly by way of kicking it off, that would be fantastic. Uh, failing that, maybe the cover of the review section or Spectrum. Um, failing that, an interview inside any of those. Um, so that sort of covered off, covers off print. But Sort of soon after that, like uh, you might want to get a big evening TV show, whether that is 60 Minutes or A Current Affair or 7.30 or The Project or if not two of those, <laughs> um, but that's hard. Failing that, uh, breakfast TV or a morning TV interview. Um, if you can get on... If you can get on the news somehow, if there's newsworthy, that is just a double plus, you know, if you can get a, a news item about a book. And that does often happen with political biographies or I worked on Dawn Fraser's autobiography and that got news coverage everywhere. It was on every channel. Uh, and not only that, they put a lot of effort into putting packages together, really great pictorial packages. And, you know, that's, that's absolute dream stuff. 
um, then you'd probably want to cover off ABC Local Radio if you could get Richard Feidler's fantastic conversations program. I mean, that's always a win. Um, you can usually get something else on Radio National to follow that, whether that be Fran Kelly or Patricia Cavallis or, you know, another one of the specialist programs on Radio National. You may even get on local radio another presenter to do a follow-up interview with a different kind of angle a little bit down the line. And then you really, you know, once you've got all those really big things in place, then um, look again, depending, books don't often get on FM radio, but some do. And, you know, if you can get Kyle and Jackie O, that, that's also really great. But once you've got all those big things in place, those really key things in place, then you just try and fill it in with whatever whatever you can get, you know, just the rest. Um, we also do New Zealand from Australia as well. So it's, it's important to sort of cover New Zealand. Off. And how many uh, books does a publicity team launch throughout a year? And how many books is a single publicist responsible for at any one time? <laughs> well, thousands a year. Um, we cannot work on all of those actively. And some of them are in tiny quantities. They, you know, so they're just, you know, we, we don't really pay much attention to them at all. Um, but if a media person came to us wanting to do something on that book, we would try and facilitate it, of course. Um, but we don't, we probably tell the media each month, maybe about 20 of our books uh, kind of actively. So each publicist is probably working on between two and four books a month, uh, actively, depending, doing a campaign for in some way or other. But we're probably starting, like, uh, it, it's now August, and we've just internally launched our March list. Um, so the publicists are now being allocated titles for March. So sort of from March, working back to this month, they're working on between two and four books for all of those months. So quite a lot, juggling quite a lot of projects at the one time. And what kind of KPIs are set for book publicists? Again, I mean, I'm sure it's every book is different, whether it's a notable author or it's the second, third book in a line of best-selling releases. But is it kind of down to pieces of coverage that are achieved? What are the kind of KPIs that are generally set? Look, if a book sells, if a book becomes a bestseller, you know, that's 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 the ultimate. <laughs> um, but there have been many, many examples of brilliant campaigns where a book hasn't sold. So it can't be judged entirely on the campaign. Maybe, I mean, if something just simply doesn't resonate with readers, even though we really believe in it, there's... I mean, there's no real explanation for that. Maybe we haven't communicated it well enough. Maybe the cover is incorrect. Um, maybe, I, I don't know. Who, who knows? Who knows? Um, but look, if it sells really well, if the author's really happy, <laughs> that's always a, a, a really good thing to achieve. I mean, and if the publicist has really put together a well-rounded campaign, that's that's more important really you know that's you know if they've done the best they can with the book and with the available media then that that's they've done a good job 
you talk about a bestseller and we read about this all the time. This is a bestseller. What is a bestseller in Australian terms? Does it have to have hit a certain number of sales? <laughs> Something that appears on a bestseller list, you know. Right. There's a very funny joke in the industry where people say, why don't you just publish the bestsellers? Well, <laughs> we would love to, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you hope every book becomes a bestseller. So it doesn't have to be a necessary a number of sales. It just has to sit on someone's no, list somewhere that's no. that says bestseller. And we're a bit coy about talking about sales to the media because they don't really mean much uh, out of context. Like if you've published, you know, if if you're, you know, a book could sell, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. Michael Connolly, the crime writer, he might sell eighty to a hundred thousand copies. But then you might have a small volume of poetry that sold three and a half thousand copies, uh, and that's really successful. But when you know, if you think a hundred thousand copies is really successful, you don't appreciate that that book has done that the little book of poetry has done really well. So there's no real. It, it's hard to sort of benchmark. It depends what it is, what your expectation is, and whether it achieves that or not, or exceeds that. And how often are you looking at sales figures? I know in, in television, ratings would come through every morning at a certain time and you'd be able to track, you know, how successful that program was um, or how successful it's, it's tracking. How often are you looking at sales figures for books? Uh, all the time. There's a thing called BookScan uh, run by Nelson and we can see not only how our books are performing but how every book in the market is performing. Um, week on week, we can see rises and uh, falls percentage-wise in sales. We can see sales to date. Uh, it doesn't account for e-books. It's only uh, physical books, uh, books that sell through bookshops. Um, but it gives you a pretty good in indication. And it's not absolutely the entire market, but it's most of it. And we live by it. It's also very good when you're, you know, to look at that kind of information about a similar book that you're thinking of acquiring. Um, you can see its sales pattern. Uh, you also have a pretty good idea of what it achieved media-wise, where where the author appeared, what what they did. Um, so you can sort of make much more informed decisions about um, what you're acquiring. How did the introduction of ebooks affect the industry? Because I am, I'm an ebook reader. I used to read Kindle a lot. Um, now I read through apps like Borrowbox and, and Libby, um, you know, through which are library uh, online apps. And I also now, especially in the last year or two, certainly in Sydney, and I'm sure it might be similar around Australia, you've got these neighbourhood libraries that pop up where people put their books there and then you pick them up, etc. And because I'm a, I read a lot and I'm a very quick reader, I go through books. You know, I read a book on the on Sunday, for example, from start to finish. I probably read three books in the last week. So I consume books a lot and I can't necessarily afford to just buy them constantly. So the introduction of those different ways to consume books, how has that affected the industry? Are, you know, are people like me the scourge of the industry because you can't track sales from me? <laughs> um, publishers love readers, all kinds of readers, really. Uh, so, you know, that that's fine. There is sort of a misconception that publishers don't like ebooks very much but you know they're sales to us um they do detract from our great friends the booksellers so we you know we sort of have to sort of balance 
those relationships uh, with our existing retailers, uh, um, uh, print book retailers. Um, but I read everything on a Kindle, but it's usually in manuscript form and something we're publishing months in advance. So that's that's uh, uh, it's sort of the easiest way to, to read it. You used to sort of be have photocopied pages everywhere, but but now you can just put on a Kindle, which makes it much easier. But look, it certainly changed changed the book market. It's sort of there's some interesting trends though. Things that sell really well as ebooks are kind of genre stuff, um, crime, romance, fantasy. Nonfiction doesn't really sell that well as ebooks, not nearly as well as sort of. Uh, fiction um, and literary fiction still tends to sell in print form more than more than ebook. So it's really sort of commercial genre stuff that 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 has really taken the ebook market. In terms of a structure of a publicity department, does it kind of sit with publicity assistants or assistant publicists, publicists managers? Is that kind of the basic breakdown of what a department would look yep. like? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and sort of towards the bottom, whether you're an intern, the intern kind, if we've got an intern, the intern kind of helps the overflow from the assistant. The assistant is by far the busiest job in the department. They, they're they responsible for all the admin, for keeping everyone on track, ensuring everything happens to, you know, getting our books out, to coordinating for the warehouse to send our books out to the media with the right media release at the right time. Um, that's a really kind of full on role. Uh, and then you could have anywhere from a junior publicist, a publicist, a senior publicist, a publicity manager, a senior publicity manager. And they uh, all pretty much do the same uh, thing, but with various degrees of uh, responsibility. The, the, the more senior, the bigger authors you tend to get to look after. And you'd go on tours with them and... Uh, which is an odd thing in itself, you know, where you sort of, you know, if, a, if, a, if an author comes into the country and and you've never met them before and you're thrown together pretty much day and night for, for perhaps two weeks, um, it, it's kind of a, uh, it's, I love it, I have to say, I really love it. And, um, but it's a very odd thing that happens because you actually know each other pretty well by the end and um, you may never see them again. Yeah, I think there's a, um, there's an, I think it's an, in any sector of PR, I think you really have to be a chameleon when it comes to working with or dealing with people, you know, whether it's authors, whether it's television, you know, celebrities, um, whether it's journalists, you have to be able to uh, adapt your personality, not change your values and your principles, but adapt your personality to deal with someone someone who could be a very practical straight down the line kind of person and they don't like giggles and fun and uh, you know being down to earth you know they might just want to do the job and do it very quickly and efficiently and others may really enjoy um, really getting to know someone and having a chat to them about their life and what it may be and you have to be able to pick that up with someone work out who they are what it is they want from you what it is they want from their day or from the couple of hours that you may be with them because the better the understanding is between the two of you the more respect there is the more likely is you're going to be able to get them to do favors for you if you need to, to you know shove in a quick interview here or spend a little bit longer doing something Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a real art to that. I mean, it can take a long time. And obviously, you're going to be exposed to a lot of people, but you really got to be a good listener and you have to be a, a good study of humans, don't you? It's a very odd mix of um, skills, actually. Not only do you have to, in advance of that, have been 
a pretty good PR practitioner to pull the whole thing together. But, you know, you're then kind of a personal assistant, a bodyguard, a sounding board, a therapist, a confidant, uh, you know, and hopefully by the end a friend, you know. But something I've learned is to, when you go into it, it's just make it all about them. And, you know, don't don't have an expectation that they're going to want to know a thing about you. You know, just make sure that they're getting everything they need, they're comfortable. And, and, and I think from that, um, I mean, one thing you always have to start with is their book. You've read their book. So you can ask them a lot of questions about that. And, you know, so you can sort of start by doing that. But a lot of young publicists have said to me things like, oh, I can't believe it. They just they just haven't asked me a single question about me. And I think, <laughs> well, why do you think they should? You know, it's, it's about them. <laughs> do um, publicists tend to leave book publishing or is it a bit like television? I mean, there's not much movement in television publicity. It's really hard to get into because people are happy to be a publicist for 10, 15, 20 years and there's very little, you know, there's very few management roles. So they may stay publicising TV shows for, for decades and be perfectly happy doing that. Is that similar with book publishing or is it a bit more transient? Very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that until you just said that. But yes, people do tend to stay. And I mean, they're great jobs. They're really, they're really great jobs. You get to meet so many interesting people and and do so many interesting things. And you know, it's they're, they're really and and now I'm working with books. Hello, you know, it's fantastic. You launched your own business, I think, which you had for seven years or so. What led to you moving from in-house to to consulting? And um, and what was it like? Did you enjoy it? Um. It was challenging, actually. I did enjoy it. I had some really great clients. The reason I did it was I was looking just to do something different and I I just kind of wanted to do, just to give that a go, I guess. But I found being a micro-business owner as well as a PR practitioner kind of challenging, I have to say. Um, you know, I had to get people to pay me on time. I had to get, you know, I had to go out and try and get business. I had to, as well as do everything. Um, but I did have some fantastic clients. I worked on Sydney Writers Festival for a few years, um, which I loved. Um, I worked on the federal government's Books Alive campaign, which was probably the most generous government-sponsored promotion of books that's ever been. It came in as a compensation for the GST on books when that happened. Um, And it was a very, very generous government-sponsored book promotion. Um, So that was fantastic. And that involved sort of touring a lot of writers around the country. It had various models over the years. Um, But then I'd also just through publishers do one-off book promotional. That that was my bread and butter, doing one-off book promotion campaigns, uh, overflow from the in-house teams and, it's quite a small industry. Um, it's a it's a really friendly industry, which is great. Um, I'm not sure that music, films, and TV are as friendly, um, but book publishing, everyone knows each other, and everyone's very friendly, and everyone's pretty much worked everywhere <laughs> over the years. You know, everyone moves around, um, and that's a really nice thing about it is that it's so friendly. 
So for people that are looking to get into book publishing, let's say they're right at the start of their career, who knows what they've studied, maybe it's PR, maybe it's journalism, uh, maybe it's something completely unrelated, but they've just really been fascinated and want to work in that industry. Are, in, are internships offered much within publishing houses? Should that be, would that be something that you would encourage people to do if they get the opportunity to? Um, the, the, there are internships. Um, they're all pretty much sponsored now. The best way to uh, find out about them uh, is either through the publisher's websites, go in there and see if they're offering internal uh, internships. Um, The Australian Publishers Association website might have some internships advertised there. Um, The Books and Publishing website, which is kind of the industry uh, media site, you might see internships advertised there. Otherwise, go for an entry-level job. Certainly, I've witnessed many interns move into a permanent position. Um, But if you're going to be an intern, if you're going to go in as an intern, I mean, it can work the other way. They can go, you know, the publisher can go, oh, no way, <laughs> you know. Um, but but it's a great way to get in there, to be seen, uh, to make an impression and to do a good job. And then you'll be considered, especially if they need someone very quickly to fill a role. And um, that, that's a really good entry point. Um, if you're going to apply for an entry-level job, make it really clear that you're a reader Um, that you read books and you love books, that always helps. We deal in language. Um, Make sure your spelling, grammar and punctuation are correct. Yeah, that's probably the extent of my advice there. (laughs) And in terms of publicist positions, junior publicist, publicist, senior publicist, um, I imagine it's more favourable to have book publishing experience, but that can't happen all the time. Do you think the industry is quite open for people having relevant non-book publishing experience but you know obviously just showing your aptitude and your interest for the industry or is it you know you they really do look for book publishing experience uh it it does happen it has happened i've i have in the past employed people without book industry experience but the person with book industry experience will get the job before you if you need someone to quickly to come in and hit the ground running you're really going to want someone who knows the jargon who knows what you're talking about who knows the book media who knows how to deal with the book media Um, that's ideal if you do want your application to stand out and you've got no previous book industry experience but you do have five years seven years whatever it may be under your belt of working in another sector how can you stand out how can you really reinforce that connection that you genuinely do have an interest in the industry? If you make it clear that you are a genuinely passionate book reader um, and you can you list books if you if you uh, have done a bit of research about the company you're applying to, maybe highlight some books that they publish that you have read, um, maybe something they've published recently that you have read. Yeah, I think that's probably the the, the, the big way to 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 stand out and to finish up for those listening who are after a good book recommendation or two what have you what have you really enjoyed reading over the last year or so um we published a book last year called such a fun age by american writer kylie reed which is just um, a fantastic book and in fact it won this year at the australian book industry awards the best international book published in australia last year which we were thrilled about Um, it's just fantastic 
Um, Anne Patchett, anything by Anne Patchett. Her most recent novel was The Dutch House. Um, she has a new collection of essays coming up later this year called These Precious Days, which is just to die for. It's, it's sort of memoir and essays, and it's um, just extraordinary. I would read her shopping list. She is so fantastic. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, I always love. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love, but I much prefer her novels. Her novel, The Signature of All Things, is just extraordinary. Uh, she had City of Girls last year, um, which is also really completely different, but really fantastic. Um, probably my favourite book of the last few years would be Hanya Yanagihara's A Little Life. Um, I think it could be my favourite book of all time, really. I've never read a book that had a set of characters that I'd loved so much, that I missed so much after turning the last page. And that moved me so much. Um, I've never cried so much in a book. It's uh, it's an extraordinary thing. And I think people will be reading it in hundreds of years to come. I have a terrible, terrible memory for remembering authors' names and books. I completely rely on Goodreads. If anyone says to me, you know, what have I read? Or I have to go to Goodreads and work out whether I've actually read a book or not before. Um, so I'll have to, uh, I have read The Dutch House. Uh, do you recall I that I love The Dutch House. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to send you a new one. Oh, good. I would love the, that. The essays and memoirs. It's really, it's just terrific. It's really great. For those who have watched Younger, which is set in the book publishing world, how similar is that to reality? <laughs> I love Younger, and I think most people in publishing love Younger, but it is so unrealistic. Um, the launch parties they have are just you know, beyond what we could afford. It, you know, these glamorous New York parties and... Um, I wish, um, and and sort of no one dresses like they dress in publishing. Um, but um, it's really fantastic. I love the show. I think it's fantastic. Good entertainment value, if nothing else. Good entertainment value. And, like, it's really well-informed about book publishing. They kind of get a lot right. It's clearly someone who advises on the show has worked in book publishing. It's a bit of a hoot. If you want to know about book publishing, it's probably worth watching because the way, you know, there's a lot of books being acquired and, um, it, you know, it does sort of explain a lot about publishing, but it's, it's, it's far more glamorous than the real thing. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real privilege to have a chat to someone who's got my, uh, so much experience and insight in the industry. So thank you so much for being generous with your time. No, thanks, Brooke. Thanks for listening to the PR Pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.